Hello and welcome to Because Nature Tells Me So. I'm Susan Charks. This podcast, which originates from scenic, historic, and still beautiful Bucks County, Pennsylvania, features my writings about nature. This week I'll be reading my latest Nature's Way column, At Your Service. An earlier version of this appeared in the April 20, 2006 issue of the Doylestown Patriot. Spring is traditional planting time, but nature has its own schedule. On two late January days a week apart, a flock of robins descended on the holly trees planted across the street. I counted a 125 birds perching in nearby oaks, pines, and maples. Only a dozen could fit on the holly at any one time. One would fly into the deep evergreen recesses, pluck a bright red berry in its beak, then fly up to a perch to consume it while another bird took its place in the holly. They rotated in and out like a volleyball team. Hollyberries persist into the winter because they have a relatively high ratio of sugar to lipids or fat. This enables them to resist rotting. It also provides the birds with energy during the colder season. Berries that are higher in lipid content, like those of the dogwood, are food sources during the fall, as birds are storing up energy for the winter. What signal brought them en masse to that single feeding station from wherever nearby brushy woods they'd been spending the winter? It's been observed that freeze-thaw cycles soften winter berries, rendering them easier to eat. Since softer fruits drop more readily, perhaps the birds notice some on the ground. Feasting birds overhead made for a slippery mess in our neighborhood. Slimy, seed-laden droppings splattered the sidewalks, decks, lawns, and cars. Each of these seeds was a potential new holly. Over the winter a seed would work itself into the soil, and in two or three springs would finally germinate. Multi-year dormancy may assure it of a suitable location. But since most seeds fell on sidewalks, decks, lawns, and cars, success would be the exception rather than the rule. Wild planting is not known for its efficiency, nor for its reasonableness. On my morning walk I pass young hollies growing in between the roots of mature oak trees in a mowed border. The nutrients and water that the grass doesn't steal will go to the oak, and will probably doom the saplings to a short or at least dwarfed life. Volunteer hollies pop up in places where they won't get mowed down or swept away or mulched over, shrub borders, roadsides, forest edges, always under other trees or wires or fences where birds perch to eat. In mid-April a holly seedling emerged from a bed of soft needles beneath the white pine tree in my backyard, evidence that robins have been burying across the street for several years. At a recent local public meeting, a developer defended clearing more woods on a site than was permitted by ordinance. The woods, he pointed out, was just scrubby trees planted wildly by birds. What he would replace it with was far superior, high-quality landscaping with trees and shrubs. The superior quality of landscaping is self-evident. How do we know? Because it's paid for. All that planting by birds, well, that's not worth a dime. The problem is that birds pretty much do what they want. When you pay somebody to do something, you get to tell them what to do. Otherwise, at least since the 13th Amendment was enacted, you're out of luck. But help is on the way. Recent technological advances suggest that it may be possible to have the best of both worlds, free labor and landscape planning. Researchers at the Defense Advanced Projects Research Agency have implanted electrodes in a shark's brain that they use to steer the shark's movements. Remotely controlled sharks have the potential to spy on enemy submarines. Although it's not clear whether the sharks give informed consent to the operation, they probably don't mind a spot of adventure. Nosing into mine harbors, hiding in the sonar shadow, dodging a few depth charges, 
almost as thrilling as the sight of the bottom of a surfboard. If sharks can do it, why not birds? For centuries, people have been training birds to do useful things that the birds want to do anyway. We send pigeons out with messages. All they want to do is fly, man. We give falcons a chance to hunt for game. With the new electrode technology, it's all so much easier. Remotely controlled robin landscapers would plant those trees where we want them. We know birds are a reliable crew. Dr. Stephen Handel, a Rutgers University ecologist, is restoring the natural landscape on the Fresh Kills landfill on Staten Island. On top of and around a mountain of New York City garbage, Handel is planting 2,200 acres of native meadows, marshlands, and forest. That's a lot of planting. So Handel devised a shortcut. Adjacent woodlands are home to birds and bees. His team planted a starter set of trees, which attracted bees, which pollinated for free, and birds, which distributed seed for free. The planting project is proceeding nicely, at nature's pace, but with human objectives satisfied. Humans are pretty smart using birds and bees as landscapers. For that matter, the ways of nature are quite effective, if not necessarily efficient. To propagate themselves, trees use bees' desire to collect nectar and birds' inclination to eat fruit. And, not least of all, humans urge to make the world better. And that's this week's edition of Because Nature Tells Me So. Please visit my website, www.susancharks.com, for more information about me and my writings. Your comments are always welcome. Email susan at susancharks.com. Thanks for listening.